You're listening to The Jay Barker Show on Tide 100.9 in Tuscaloosa. Matt Coulter, a former Alabama Broadcaster of the Year and longtime media personality, and Christian Miller, a national championship winning linebacker at Alabama who was drafted by the Carolina Panthers. Here's Lars, Matt, and Christian. First of all, especially at this point of the year. That was nice. I mean, it's nice they want to have me around for a few more years. So we uh, we like it here. Where you know we feel like we're building something special. We've put a lot of the groundwork in to get it program up to the level it's at. We'd like to continue to build it. I think it's big for recruiting. Where recruits know that we're not going anywhere. We're here for the long haul, and we're trying to build this thing into a perennial powerhouse. We compete for championships every year. So great to. Uh, be wanted you know i work with an unbelievable administration and greg's the best ad in the country and dr bell's one of the best presidents i mean he's super sportive athletics so it's it's a great place to work as far as basketball coaches go it's a great place to live as far as my family goes so made a lot of sense in a lot of a lot of different areas and it's it's good for recruiting it's good for the program in general Welcome in to Big Noon Sports. How's everybody doing today? What a beautiful afternoon it is here in central Alabama. I am Lars Anderson. Be joined with Matt Coulter and the one and the only Christian Miller, former Alabama linebacker, two-time national champion, and draft pick of the Carolina Panthers. So we just heard from Nate Oates, and, um, you know, it's kind of old news, but uh, just the fact that he signed the contract extension that is roughly going to pay him about $5 million annually, and that's going to make him one of the top ten highest-paid coaches across college basketball. And uh, I think that's great that Alabama locked him down for the foreseeable future this is definitely a, a lucrative contract contract extension. It is one that he has uh, certainly earned, and, um, and 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 here's the deal. I mean, this this obviously has been in the works for months, and uh, the new deal it adds two years to his previous contract with escalators each year of about two hundred thousand. After an initial uh, 4.5 million salary, his buyout also ballooned to 12 million through March of 2024. It falls to 10 million uh, from the period of March 2024 to March of 2025, and then it drops again to 7 million the following year, before falling to 1 million. And there is no buyout in the final two years. So he's essentially locked in uh, for yeah for the foreseeable future. He's not uh, he's he's not going anywhere, and um, that's good for Alabama. You know we've had Greg Byrne on the show several times, and uh, Greg, the uh, athletic director at Alabama, he's always been so generous so generous with his time. Um, not just for the show, but also with my classes. You know, he's uh, whenever I've asked Greg to 
to uh, come and speak to uh, the sports writing classes that I teach at Alabama. He's always made himself available. And um, I, I, I just love the story he tells about kind of going on this secret mission up, up to Buffalo, New York, to, uh, to recruit Nate Oates. And Nate Oates was not a coach that was on the radar of uh, a lot of the not just local media, but also national media. And uh, and so it was kind of a, you know, not a controversial hire at the time, but certainly it was outside the box. And we have to have to remember that that Greg, he didn't hire Nick Saban. So his signature hire was uh, and he's made uh, he's made a few others here at Alabama, but his signature hire to date has been the head men's basketball coach. And on a scale of one to ten, Josh. I mean, it's it's an eleven, it's an eleven so far. I mean, he, he, Greg Bird back when Herb was there, when Herb Jones was there. I mean, they had this going. It's not like this is just the first year. They're starting to build. I'm, I'm not going to say the D word just yet, but they're starting to build the potential. And I mean, potential first Final Four. We see a bright future. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, you know, it, it's just. Uh, Really, so he was the 2021 SEC Coach of the Year. He led the Crimson Tide uh, to, so far, he's led the the Crimson Tide. I think their record so far in league play uh, under Nate Oates is 43-21. and Um, And (laughs) right now, Alabama's positioned to win the league for the second time in three seasons. And I, this is a topic I've thought about a lot over the years, uh, and that is um, how difficult it is when you're a football school to become a really strong basketball school. And uh, it, it's rare. I mean, you, you, you remember that the last time I remember this uh, Christian, uh, Christian Miller, who uh, joins us, not Christian Harris. I've made that mistake far too many times. <laughs> Christian Miller, my partner, who I constantly get his last name butchered. I'm so sorry, Christian. Uh, you need to somehow yeah, make up for that by, I don't know, calling me some horrible name. But um, the last time I remember this happening was uh, Florida. Uh, when Florida was winning national championships with Urban Meyer and Billy Donovan. Right, but it is it is a very very difficult to be a football school and a basketball school or a basketball school and a football school. And um, first of all, I'd, I'd love just to get your thoughts on on that subject alone. On on like why are these two things basically mutually exclusive? But right now at Alabama, I would argue that if you are just talking about men's basketball and the football team, no school in the country has it going better than the University of Alabama. Good afternoon, Christian. (laughs) Good afternoon, Lars. Yeah, uh, I I agree. I'll be honest, I don't watch enough college basketball to really um, give too much of a fair input on that because I could be totally wrong, but... um, 
from my assessment and just looking at things, you know, having a basketball team that's ranked, I believe, third right now um, in AP polls, um, having a football team um, who, you know, usually is in the college football playoffs year in and year out, you know, regularly winning national championships. So both teams, you know, pretty much being in the uh, top six in the country, uh, respectively, um, man, I, I think it's uh, the most impressive that I've seen. Um, again, I don't watch too much college basketball, basketball, so I could be off a little bit. But in my opinion, um, I don't think um, there's anything like it. I, I truly think it is unprecedented. And um, to your first point about why it's so difficult uh, to sustain that level of su- uh, success in both sports, I'm not too sure. Maybe you know it's hard to you know have all the resources available for so many uh, sports at once. Um, uh, that I don't know. I, I think it also – uh, really, you just have to give a lot of credit to Greg Byrne, who you just were referencing earlier. Um, his job to, you know, Coach Saban was already here, you know, before he got here, but he did go out and bring in Nate Oates, who has done a, a tremendous job turning the basketball program around and really putting them um, in this position that they're in now um, to to be as successful as they are and playing the way they're playing, you know, getting those top recruits into the program, developing them while they're here you know, playing to his standards. So I think you got to tip your hat to Greg Byrne, you know, Nate Oates and, and the jobs that they've done in, in terms of the basketball department. Um, but really, I think it, a lot of it goes to Greg Byrne again, just his ability to um, sustain just such a high level of success, not only in basketball and football, but, you know, gymnastics has always, you know, been a very um, talented and impressive unit as well. You know, women's soccer had a record setting year as well this past season, uh, you know, winning the SEC um and and being ranked in in the the probably top five of the country as well so um i think it just says a lot about the university the culture that the university has and um not only in that uh the athletic department but also in the academic department which you can um attest to with you being a a professor at the university yeah i mean look the the academic support that the athletes uh receive at alabama is almost I can't really. It's, I can't compare it to other schools because I haven't taught anywhere else. But it, it's just amazing. Uh, if you need assistance in your academics, there is every possible uh, mechanism there uh, to to help you along the way. Um, another team that I'm really interested to see and I can't wait to see play is uh, the women's softball team. Montana Fouts coming back, uh, leading that pitching staff. And man, if you got Montana Fouts on your team, you are automatically a national championship contender. And uh, I, I hope that uh, she ends up getting like some really sweet NIL deals, and and, and I bet she will. Um, and uh, and and just going back to NATO, it's like we we know the story, like. Not very long ago, he was a high school basketball coach, uh, and, and he was teaching in high school. Uh, he was a math teacher, taught five classes a day. He covered three subjects, algebra, geometry, and statistics. Uh, he also sold snacks to fund the school's basketball program. But the, over the years, he has taken that math background with him and in a lot of ways, he sort of revolutionized at least the way basketball is being played at Alabama, right? Uh, and, and, and as the, the success continues in Tuscaloosa, I think 
you're going to see more and more teams play like this. And basically what it means is that the mid-range jump shot is dead because Alabama is either shooting a three or shooting the ball within about three feet of the hoop. There's really no in-between on about, I don't know, 85% of their shots or so. It's really fascinating. I'm not the biggest basketball person in the world either, but this is a fun team to watch. This is a fun, fun team to watch. Uh, they play a style that I think appeals to high school players around the country, which is why you're seeing uh, Nate Oates land these elite prospects. And uh, good job by Greg Byrne, just, uh, again, getting him locked up. And uh, we'll talk more about this, uh, Super Bowl, Anything you guys want. Uh, let's let's make this a, a caller-driven show today. We, we haven't done that for a while. You can reach us at uh, 205-342-9904. That's 205-342-9904. And you can hear us in Birmingham on 92.5, 95.3, and 1260 a.m., in Tuscaloosa, our flagship station on 100.9, and then in Anison and Gadsden on 97.5. That's the Big Noon Sports Radio Network, and we will be right back. The best sports talk in Alabama. This is Big Noon Sports. The best sports talk in the state. Tide 100.9 and streaming on the Tide 100.9 app. The Big Man is bringing you his incredible live show. Trey Atkins. The Way I Want to Go Tour. Tomorrow, increasingly cloudy. The chance of a shower during the day. Rain and thunderstorms more likely late tomorrow night. The high 72. I'm James Spam on the ABC 3340 Weather Center on Tide 100.9. It's 66 degrees in Tuscaloosa. Welcome back into Big News Sports. If you want to join the show and talk about anything you want, you can call us at 205-342-9904. Christian, uh, Sean Payton was formally introduced as the Denver Broncos head coach yesterday. And, um, you know, he touched on the importance of keeping an open mind with players. He promised to, you know, uh, be some uh, be a disciplinarian. He was going to be have an eye for details and that he was going to have a pursuit of winning. That quote is not for everybody. (laughs) And then I I love this. I, I really like Sean Payton. Uh, you know, the, the, the bounty gate thing, I, I, I don't know. I, I don't know if you have any insight into that. I happened to be at that game. Uh, it was the NFC Championship game when the Saints were playing the, uh, um, the, the Minnesota Vikings. 
And it's a long story, but Thomas Benson, the owner of The Saints, invited me to come because he was really interested in making one of my books into a movie book called Carlisle vs. Army. So I got to sit in the owner's suite. And uh, they actually had two suites, and in the suite next to me was uh, was uh, pres- former President George Bush. And uh, we were down on the field before the game, and <laughs> I'll never forget this. This is like this, this is one of the greatest moments of my life. Um, uh, former President Bush is, is approaching uh, uh, T- Tom Benson and I, and uh, a social or social security, a Secret Service guy comes up to Mr. Benson and said, "Hey, uh, the president is here." And Mr. Benson literally said, "Hold on, I'm talking to Lars." <laughs> wow. told, told the president just to hold on. Um, but anyway, uh, it, so so Sean Payton. There's been a little so a little bit of a cloud, you know, over Sean Payton since that. But he, he's a he, he said he's going to bring some discipline, and that quote, it's not for everybody, and he really punctuated that when he started talking about Russell Wilson and how he believes he can improve Russell Wilson. And then he was asked if Russell Wilson could continue to have uh, his personal quarterback coach, a guy named Jake Heaps, as well as other support personnel that, that, that Russell has hired because he has, what, $230 million guaranteed, so you can afford to have support personnel. Uh, if he could have uh, – if Russell will be allowed to have that support personnel to work with him in the building. And Sean Payton was very, very clear about that. He said, I'm not too familiar with that. That's foreign to me. That's not going to take place. I'm unfamiliar with that. Our staff will be here. Our players will be here. And that will be it. (laughs) So uh, Russell Wilson is no longer running the show in Denver. I mean, have you ever been around players whose own coaches who weren't on staff were allowed to come into the building? Uh, during like a football season, no, you know, at Alabama, you'll see guys when they're training for the draft, they'll have, you know, their coaches that are helping prepare them for combines and pro days. They'll come in and they'll get work done, you know, in the indoor and work with those guys. But that's typically allowed, you know, again, you know, that those guys serve their time in the program and they're preparing for the next level. So now they have some um, external coaches or assistants coming in and helping those guys out. But I think that's pretty much cleared um, with the people in the building. But in terms of, you know, during uh, football season, not really. Uh, I will say, you know, uh, the closest thing maybe would be in Carolina. Christian McCaffrey had his own personal masseuse um, who was very much involved, um, was always around um, the building and, and working on Christian. But um, I think they also ended up basically hiring him as a game day type masseuse because he was there on game days and would also work on other guys. Um, but you would see him there often. So that would be my closest thing to it. But uh, own your own personal you know, coach basically coaching you at your position, if that's what this was um, with Russell Wilson, um, I've never heard of it. I mean, I also was hearing, you know, stuff about Russell having his own office, which, you know, was a little uh, kind of an anomaly in terms of um, uh, <laughs> yeah. as football goes. But, um, you know, I think Sean Payton just has his Tom, system. I think Tom had – sorry, I think Tom Brady had his own office at, at – at, at, at Tampa's headquarters, but 
Yeah, maybe that's a little and, different. And yeah, so it might might be different for you know depending on the circumstance of the players. Um, uh, but at, at the end of the day, I mean, you know, Sean Payton is the, the head coach now, and he's going to run a tight ship. You know, he's going to emphasize you know the the discipline aspect and, and the continuity between guys, and and really just having everybody on the same page, kind of that, that old school mindset. You know, no individuals. It sounds like he really wants. Uh, everybody to be on the same page and, and no one's better than the other, right? He wants everybody to uh, be equal and uh, I don't see anything wrong with it. I, I think that's how you build that camaraderie amongst your teammates. Not that anything Russell was doing was, you know, setting him apart. I, I even saw Jerry Judy tweet during the season in defense of Russell Wilson because some people were, um, you know, kind of uh, curious as to, you know, the office situation and, and the things that he was doing and mostly probably because of the results that Russell was having on the field. So they kind of started to scrutinize every move he made. But um, I, I think Sean Payton, again, is just more of an old school kind of guy. He basically just wants everybody on the same page, doing the same thing, because um, he believes that's his recipe for success. And, and I think he's just going to stick to what he knows. Yeah, so the Broncos were the lowest scoring team in the league last year, averaging, geez, just 16.9 points per game. And in 11 games, they put up 16 or fewer points. But then Sean Payton really was looking at the last two games of the season. Russell Wilson had six total touchdowns in those two games, four passing and two rushing. He had three touchdown passes in the season-ending victory over the L.A. Chargers. And, and what Sean Payton was saying in his opening press conference was that those two games really were the glimpse of how – things could go for Russell Wilson. Um, just what are your thoughts on Russell Wilson? I mean, obviously, I, I, I did a story on Russell when he was at Wisconsin, and I, I really liked him a lot. Um, he's, he's very much undersized, I and mean, he's really not that much taller than I am. Uh, I, I was really surprised by that. I mean, he's probably about 5'10 and a half, but uh, th- just the way he plays, I don't think it really uh, doesn't affect him because he's so good at uh, you know manipulating the pocket, getting outside of the pocket, not necessarily making you know long runs, but uh, just buying himself time and then having a a, a, a real accurate arm. But do you feel like Russell still has something left in him? And Absolutely. and also. And also, and also, Jerry. Just and also, your thoughts on Jerry Judy, who really seemed to come on later in the season as well. No, I mean, absolutely. Russell is what thirty-four years old. I mean, he just had one bad season, right? You know, I, I don't think it's you know any cause of concern just yet, right? And he also dealt with a hamstring, a shoulder, um, all types of injuries. Um, his hand or his finger was fractured. Um, so you got to you got to look at all those variables. You know, he's on a whole new team. You know, he spent his you know. Uh, first half of the season in Seattle, and now he's with a, a new team, new coaching staff, new receivers. Um, you know that might play a role. Um, just a, a lot of you know, he might have just had some growing pains with his with his new uh, organization. So I'm not going to write Russell Wilson off. I think he's a phenomenal quarterback. You know he he's uh, known to have great touch for the football. You know being able to throw it uh, with some zip and some great accuracy. Um, he's a, a great leader. You know Jerry Judy was saying that as well in terms of. Um, how much he respects Russell as a leader. You know, a lot of people kind of make fun of him because he's a little corny sometimes, it seems like. But um, at the end of the day, you know, yeah. he's a phenomenal quarterback, um, a great leader for his teammates, and uh, a great role model, you know, does uh, outstanding things in the community, a great father figure. 
so, you know, I, 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 I'm a big fan of Russell, and I really hope he kind of gets back to playing at that level that we've seen him play um, at previously. And in terms of Jerry Judy, yeah, no, he's always been um, a, a remarkable receiver. You know, we saw his ability to stretch the field at Alabama. Um, his route running is, uh, you know, some of the best that I've seen. You know, he can stop on a dime, really put his foot in the ground, change direction, and uh, he really knows how to, you know, change gears and really – you know, uh, outrun those uh, defensive backs. So I, I'm a big fan of Judy. You know, I know he kind of struggled a little bit with some um, of his catches earlier on in his career, but it seems like he's kind of, you know, finally started to, you know, feel it out a little bit more and, and, and started coming along later in the season. So I'm expecting high things from him because, you know, uh, he definitely has all the talent. It's just a matter of putting it all together. And, uh, you know, it, it, again, you know, going from college to the NFL, you, some, some, sometimes it takes time to adjust. And uh, that's probably just kind of what we were seeing. But I think the more comfortable and confident he gets, the better we're going to see him play. Yeah, and I, and I think we were seeing that uh, last year. And, man, he was just he was so special and so fun to watch at, at Alabama. He just felt whenever he got the ball in his hands, he, he could take it all the way. And, and then him, t- I think I think Ruggs was on, the, on that song. They played together and just – those two guys were just unbelievable at Alabama. Um, all right. We will be right back. This is Big Noon Sports. Stick with us. We got much more to talk about. From T-Town to the Plains, this is Alabama's most in-depth analysis on the SEC. This is Big Noon Sports. Did you know you can get your prescriptions for less at your local pharmacy? You can with GoodRx. It's the free app that can save you money on your medications. Just search for your prescription, choose the pharmacy, and... Welcome back to the show, Big Noon Sports, Christian Lars, Matt, Joe, Josh, Aiden. We got another day, it's like a mirror image of yesterday. Yeah, beautiful. Uh, yes, 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 yes it is. So, uh, the Broncos deal. Did Peyton just lay down the law and tell Russell where to go or where not to go or who to go with? <laughs> yeah. Um, he's basically saying, "Hey, my way or the highway," and um, and I, you know, uh, he he ended up quoting one of his old bosses, uh, Bill Parcells, um, when he said, uh, "Yeah," as Bill Parcells would say, "You have law and order. <laughs> you come in with this is how we're going to teach. This is how we're going to meet. This is how we're going to practice." Every year in our league, there have been great plans with noble thoughts and a lot of enthusiasm that don't have success. Discipline, toughness, and football makeup is going to be real important for who is a Denver Bronco. There is an element of discipline. There's an element of toughness. And look, it's not for everyone. And Peyton added later, I know what it looks like and I know what it doesn't look like. And sometimes we're not asking. Sometimes it's non-negotiable. So, Christian, um, when you were a rookie with the Carolina Panthers, what was it like for you, just that that very first team meeting when all the vets were there, not just the rookies, because I know rookies report first in training camp. 
What was that? Just take us, put us in the room uh, when you're, you're sitting down and and uh, it's your kind of welcome to the NFL moment for you. Um, you know, it's just a regular meeting. Just, you know, you're just amongst guys that you, you know, grew up watching some guys, you know, um, that are now sitting in there with you, They're your teammate, um, guys that um, you might have played with before. Um, but it's just a humbling experience because, uh, you know, you've always dreamt of that moment and it's finally here. And, you know, when, when you finally take a seat in that meeting room, it, it, it kind of all finally um, starts and uh, you're, you're kicking off your the, the beginning of your career. And um, it's very exciting, but it's also, you know, you know, you're, you're a little, you know, anxious trying to, you know, feel it all out and, and feel exactly, you know, what's going to, you know, be the next step for you and try to, you know, learn your place because you're kind of starting over, so to speak. You just are coming from being the kind of the man in college and now you're starting over from ground zero. Um, but it's, it's just a great experience and ultimately just a huge honor and a, a phenomenal opportunity that you have. So um, it definitely was a, a great experience. Was it more um – memorable uh that experience and when you were a freshman at alabama and you sat in your first team meeting with uh coach saban um uh i mean i don't well i mean they're just so different i mean i guess uh you know you're in the nfl and again that's like the ultimate goal so i'd probably put that slightly above college but they still are you know such drastic differences you know going from high school to college and college to the nfl um huge um leaps in terms of um you know the talent and the competition so uh, definitely big adjustments plus you know whole new cities uh, fortunately i was back in carolina where i'm pretty much from about an hour from where i grew up so i was familiar with charlotte but um yeah yeah i think I don't think you really can kind of weigh one or the other. I think they're both special in their own way because, um, you know, you, when you arrive at college, you're leaving the house for the first time and, and you know, you're starting on your journey um, in college football. Then, like I said, the NFL is always like a dream. That's what everybody dreamt of as a kid, and that was the ultimate goal, and now you're finally living it. Um, so I, I wouldn't really rank them, but I think both of them are special in their own way. In the locker room or even on the playing field, was there ever a oh wow moment uh, being aside or tackling or you know rushing a, a quarterback that uh, you've always really really liked? Yeah, I mean, I mean, it was a couple again. Just when you first get out there and you're doing, um, what was it called? Uh, you know, during it's like a spring ball, so to speak, for the NFL. But it's like in May or June. You're OTAs. You get out to OTAs after being drafted and. Um, at first you have rookie mini camp, so you're only with rookies and, and whatnot, you know, second year guys that they might ask to come out there and compete. But, um, you know, once you join the rest of the guys at OTAs, I mean, that was kind of one of those moments. I remember I'm, um, in the same linebacker group as Luke Keekley and, uh, I'm just like, dang, this is, this is pretty spectacular. You know, I'm learning from the best right now and I'm over here just, you know, stretching, getting ready for practice together. Um, just like I've always done at Alabama, just like I did at Spring Valley High School. But now I'm doing it with the best of the best, you know, an all-pro linebacker who's arguably the best linebacker in the National Football League. So that that was one. And then, um, you know, going and playing in, in uh, Foxborough in the preseason and seeing Tom run out on the field, you know, playing against him, uh, my rookie, that was another one. Um, so I think anytime you go against, uh, you know, somebody you grew up watching or idolizing, 
Um, as a matter of fact, you know, that my first game, we played the Rams at home and uh, Clay Matthews was on that team. And I was talking on the show a week or so ago. He was uh, my favorite player growing up. And so knowing that I'm playing against him, I'm like, man, I literally grew up watching this guy eighth, ninth, tenth grade, trying to model my game after him. And now I'm on the opposite sideline and playing the same position for the the opposing team. So stuff like that, just stuff that I always will remember and and, and cherish because um, it's definitely a a special opportunity that not many people um, will ever get to take part in. But to know that, um, you know, that I've been able to do it, you know, whether you and, and this goes for anybody, even if it's a guy who's undrafted, whether you only play in two preseason games or, or you, you play nine years, you know, the fact that you were able to reach that level is a huge accomplishment in itself. Matt, how about for you? Um, not necessarily working with somebody, but somebody you interviewed in the course of your career, other oh, than wow. Bear Bryant, um, that you're just like. Oh man, I can't. I, I can't believe I'm in this position. Uh, let me not fumble my words, please. Yeah. Um. I think the one that almost got to the point of being intimidated, and, and I wasn't. I was very comfortable interviewing anybody. But when I interviewed Bob Hope, I was uh, wow. Yeah, that's top dog, big cheese. You know what? I was actually writing about Bob Hope this really? morning. I can't believe that. Such a cool, funny <laughs> guy. But he used to come play in the Charlie Boswell Golf Tournament for charity. You know, Char- Charlie Boswell was the eight- or nine-time world champion blind golfer. Uh, talk about a remarkable man. But I sat down next to him, set up the interview and all that with, with uh, Mr. Hope. And um, every one of his answers were like one-liners, you know? He was being a funny guy. But what are one-liners? They're short. <laughs> yeah, they are. They're short. And, you know, there's only so many bullets you got in the chamber there. And then you keep firing, fire, fire, fire. And suddenly you go, oh, all right, well, thanks. And I had almost there the entire interview because uh, we didn't get anything deep. Um, but, yeah, I think that one pops to mind, I guess, just to be honest with you, to name drop. Because that, that was pretty cool. Yeah, uh, I, I have two. One was uh, El McPherson, uh, the supermodel. The heck with Bob Hope. Yeah, um, met her at the Fashion Cafe in uh, in, in um, Rockefeller Center, which no longer exists. Uh, the Rockefeller Center does. The Fashion Cafe doesn't. Um, and she was just sitting by herself. I was interviewing her for a story for the swimsuit issue. And uh, at a table, and I uh, walk in, and, I mean, she is just, I mean, she's the most beautiful woman I've ever laid eyes on. And, uh, wow. and then she stands up to say hello, <laughs> and she's, oh, wearing, yeah. she's wearing heels, oh, and she's, she's like six foot one, you know, oh, I'm, I'm five foot nine on a good day. And it was uh, rather emasculating. So you're me there's a chick. <laughs> oh. uh, and and the other was one. Was she a good chick? Oh, did you say chick? No, I'm sorry. Uh, oh, she was super sweet. Just That's r- awesome. really nice, uh, down to earth, and uh, it, it made for a, a, a nice story. But I was a very young writer at the time, and it was a bit overwhelming. Uh, mm-hmm. And also, when I was a young writer. 
one of the first NASCAR stories I did, and I've told you this story, Matt, uh, was on Dale Earnhardt Sr., uh, and this was the last long story written on him before he passed away. And uh, there was a test session at Rockingham, uh, in Rockingham, North Carolina, at a track there. And it was right. It was maybe three weeks before the Daytona 500, in which he would ultimately pass away. And um, and so you know, I'm waiting to go interview him. I don't know anything about NASCAR. I uh, really don't know much about him, other than he's just known as a badass, right? And um, <laughs> so he's in the back of the hauler. Right, that uh, that's sort of their on track, yeah. on track yeah, office lounge area. Yeah, you know. and, and remember his uh, his PR guy, uh, JD. Yes, I remember JD. He was he was not the most friendly person in the world, and so I, I walk I walk back, I walk back there, uh, open the door, and he's in this like little room, and it's almost like you have to sit right next to each yeah. other when it's you're the back <laughs> of a cab. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. But he looks at me up and down, up and down, yeah. and he says, holy blank, they sent the blankety-blank intern. I can't believe it. And I just froze. I, mean, I was like 23 or 24 years old, and I looked like I was 16. And uh, and and Earnhardt, he had such a good sense of timing, of comedic timing. Yeah. He just let it sit there for like one beat, two beats, three beats, and he's like, "Ah, come on in, son. Come sit son. down. I'll tell you anything you want to know." Yeah, yeah. And, and then uh, we ended up talking for you know hour, hour and a half. He, he really? gave me he gave me so much time and. I think he was just, uh, you know, he he was bored and he didn't want to go back out on the track and he just wanted to talk. And we he talked about hunting and fishing and farming and and uh, sundrop. You know, <laughs> sundrop. He loves sundrop. Yeah, so he passed that along to Dale Jr. That's for uh, sure. Uh. But anyway, those are the two times when I was really intimidated in my career. But I I can't match Bob Hope. I can't well, imagine I Bob know. Hope. L. McPherson? Come on. I forgot all about Hope. The person. Yeah. I just didn't forget about Hope. <laughs> I have much hope. Um, I hope we can take a break. We're going to do that. We'll come back. Lars Anderson, Christian Miller. You're listening to Big Noon Sports. From T-Town to the Plains, this is Alabama's most in-depth analysis on the SEC. This is Big Noon Sports. Winning is in the air this February with a $100,000 Cubits Fortune Plinko at Silver Star at Golden Moon Casinos. Join us every Friday and Saturday nights in February to win a share of $100,000 in cash. Tomorrow, increasingly cloudy, the chance of a shower during the day. Rain and thunderstorms more likely late tomorrow night, the high 72. I'm James Spann on the ABC 3340 Weather Center on Tide 100.9. It's 67 degrees in Tuscaloosa. Filing your taxes is a good thing. I used to spend my nights out in a bar room. Back on Big Noon Sports, hope everybody is having an outstanding lunch as we approach the 1 o'clock hour. We got to talking about Christian Miller's experience in the NFL. 
And Christian, uh, I rather uh, maybe bizarre. I don't know, but I I find it fascinating because I want to hear your answer to this question. What was the parking lot like when y'all had practice? Can you and, and you're a car guy, so I feel comfortable asking you this. Were there some pretty BA vehicles in the Carolina Panthers parking lot? Oh, no doubt. I mean, I think that's in any NFL parking lot, any NBA parking lot. NBA yeah. might have better cars, honestly. I see those guys in exotic cars uh, consistently. But then again, there's not as many guys. They have more money, more guaranteed money. Uh, but definitely, yeah, I mean, you know, you'll see, you know, uh, all the latest vehicles, like when the, you know, TRX came out, that, you know, that Dodge truck, uh, Ram, excuse me. Um, you'll see Raptors, uh, G Wagons. AMG Mercedes, and then they're all, you know, customized as well. Uh, Bentleys, uh, Rolls Royce. Yeah, so, uh, yeah, definitely uh, all the, the finest cars are in the parking lot, without a doubt. You kind of go can go old school on cars, can't you? A little bit. Maybe not as good as you. Well, that's because I'm older. And thanks for pointing that out. No, not like that. Uh, no, I'm a big. No, I know. I know. I no, no. It's good humor. Uh, I really like the uh, mid to late '60s muscle cars, but that's a topic for different radio stations. You, well, you might see one or two of those, but uh, no, really, yeah. Well, I mean, I had a teammate, Mario Addison, who's from uh, he's from Alabama, but uh, specifically Birmingham area. Uh, man, great teammate. He played college ball at Troy. Um, he's been in the league probably going on uh, 10 or 11 years now. He's still playing, but he is a car guy. You love him, Matt. Uh, he probably has a collection of double-digit cars, and uh, probably over half of them are, um, you know, 60, 70 uh, model cars, you know, Cutlasses, Chevelles, uh, the whole nine. He's he's one of those guys, and uh, that's like his pride and joy. So um, if you were to ever see his collection, you would you would be thrilled. He's he's one of those guys, and like I said, he's he's from Birmingham. So, um, matter of fact, he that's cool. Yeah, he does a like a whole little car show thing. I think uh, up there sometimes. Um, but yeah, there's a lot of guys in the league that definitely love their cars. Well, that's a very very it was a unique era, and there are also a bunch of great other cars from from different decades. But that just uh, that's kind of where my choice uh, fell. Do you have a favorite car? Yeah, Shelby Culver. Mm. Have y'all uh, have y'all ever seen um, Ford versus Ferrari? Yeah, good movie. Uh, it was on last night, and um, seen when he drives off in his Shelby Cobra. Speaking, the very last speaking scene of, of the movie. movies, Matt, my mom was watching Talladega Nights the other night, and she kept asking, "She's like, is that Matt? Is that Matt?" I said, "I don't know. I don't <laughs> remember." Uh, seeing him in there, and I didn't know he was in there until recently. So I was like, I and I haven't seen it since. I've figured that out. So I'll have to rewatch it next time and and, and look for you. But I, I, she kept pointing at people. I'm like, I don't think that's Matt. <laughs> it's uh, well, I was a little younger. I had a little bit more hair. He basically and, looked uh, the same. Though. Yeah, no, Did I feel I? like yeah. I'd be able to point and, you out. Uh, it's uh, yeah, no, it's and, and he plays himself, which is cool because. Yeah. Uh, that's what I've been doing for 40 years, <laughs> and I, literally. Uh, well, no, I mean, because you're called Matt uh, by what character? Uh, by Cal Naughton Jr. Cal Naughton Jr. And, um, and yeah. Quick story as we go to break. Uh, we're, we had done two takes. It's absolutely amazing 
how much time they take. What my my appearance is thirty six seconds. Not that I've ever timed it. Uh, <laughs> But it's amazing how over the top they go in every area. I know. When we broke for lunch, they had seared tuna and prime rib for lunch. Anyway, I did two takes. Was it better than Mike Bolton's uh, barbecue? Uh, no. Out there at Talladega? Nothing better than that. But Inside. Yeah, it is. <laughs> um, but anyway, he was calling me Bob. You know, I was in a Will Ferrell movie. I, he could call me Poindexter. I didn't care. But after two takes, he said... Uh, Hey, and they were so nice. I mean, and it was genuine. Anyway, uh, he said, well, hey, by the way, what is your name? And he said, Matt. I said, Matt. And he said, I'm going to use it. And he did, and he, they used that tape. So, anyway, it's kind of That's cool. cool. Enough about Yeah, it was It was really. Did you get cool. your, uh, like, your Actors Guild card? Yeah, I got one. The other. Uh, no, I, but I am a member, and I got a or what royalty check for... Uh, Nine dollars and thirty-seven cents. Is that every month? Uh, it's every quarter, and it's something like that. I'll, I'll be honest with you. First couple of years, I, I did make a little bit of money. Anyway, enough about me. We're going to break. Attorney spokesperson, the settlement specialist, is responsible for the content of this ad. Attention, all women who use popular hair straighteners or relaxers like Motion, Dark and Lovely, Olive Oil Relaxer, or Organic Root Stimulator. If you or a loved Welcome back to Big Noon Sports with Lars Anderson, Matt Coulter, and Christian Miller. There's uh, my moment in history. My moment on the screen. Um, so, uh, by the way, I, I want to ask Josh something real quick. Did you have a good birthday? Did you go whoop it up somewhere? What's hey, yes, sir. We actually went out to the Baumhauer's. Oh, okay. Which one? They had some Mardi Gras thing. So, over in Vesavia Hills. Oh, that's where Lars and I uh, hang out. I wish our, I could have made spot. it over to Tuscaloosa. Uh, yeah. Did you see Jordan? Hey, he's our favorite uh, guy. <laughs> he's our, he's our uh, yeah. bartender. He's our bartender, but anyway. I, I just, well, I'm glad you had. I didn't migrate over there. I was, I was over at the booth. You know, we, we, Mama was in town. She took me out. But we had the Mardi Gras menu over there and got to celebrate like it was Nola over there. Good. Everybody should celebrate their birthdays. Celebrate hard. Hey, I got some breaking news here. Thank you, Matt. It's, uh, By Mama, first... you mean your own mom, right? Your mother. Listen, yeah. <laughs> she came in town to want to celebrate, and that's you know I get a little. Is it your mama or Elf McPherson? <laughs> um, all right, I'm thumbing through websites and all, and and this headline just blows me away. And I'm thinking this is just false news. I keep reading it, and reading it, and then now Kyle Bush has posted on Twitter what happened. But here is the headline: 
NASCAR star Kyle Busch sentenced to three years in Mexican prison for trying to take a three eighty pistol and hollow point shells on a private plane leaving I, I saw that yesterday, and uh, I saw that it was posted by Jeff Gluck, who is a very well-respected NASCAR reporter. Well, apparently he did just that unknowingly. He said he, he tossed it in the back. He didn't even know that. Here's, here's my there. thing. <laughs> if you have a gun and registered or not, and you don't know where it is, you don't need Probably to have a gun. Have well, um, there's there's some truth to that. It doesn't, and, and logically, it just it doesn't make sense because he has been sentenced to three years. Yet he's at Daytona practicing for the Daytona 500. Uh, the one part of this story that I find a real mystery is it is not clear how or if that sentence will be assessed. So I guess well, they, they went ahead and sentenced him, but they let him go for a charge of having a handgun. Yeah, which totally if I were him, I would, not, I would not go back to oh. Mexico ever. He was in Cancun, by the way, if that makes any difference. But the Mexican authorities identified the defendant as Kyle Thomas B. This is just an odd story. From Nevada. Said he was credited with full responsibility in the commission of a crime carrying a firearm without a license and possession of cartridges for the exclusive use of the armed forces. There's another twist to it. But anyway, uh, he he put his post on Twitter and said, I, I did it, I accept it, and uh, I'm working with the authorities. Three years? Oh. Don't, go says, to a, don't go to a foreign country and break their laws. Oh, I mean, isn't, I mean what, what, what are you doing carrying a gun... To Mexico. Well, did he say? Well, did he acknowledge that he said he didn't know it was in there, or did did he ever discuss yeah. that? He Let said me, he. Uh, hang on, I'm. Only reason I'm asking because it was a private said, flight, he, so I'm wondering if he thought since it was a private flight, yeah. he could kind of just get away with it. I mean, I, I, I will say, I mean, as someone who does have firearms, several firearms, just I'm gonna leave it at that. I mean, I do have them, you know, different areas. I mean, it, it wouldn't be, you know out of the norm of you, you know, mistake, uh, mistakenly have one somewhere and you forget about it. I'm not going to make fun of him for that. Um, but if he knowingly brought it, then, you know, I, yeah, that's kind of on you. I guess you also you should be a little more responsible and know, but I mean, sometimes I'm not going to lie, you know, when you're traveling, you have duffel bags and certain, certain situations, not, areas no, you're not, allowed to carry them. I mean, I'm licensed. I have all the proper licensing to carry them. And when I'm capable of doing so, I have no issue doing that. Um, but uh, and and uh, and Christian, as someone who's traveled a lot, uh, both you and I have, and Matt has too. When you're packing, uh, you're often in a huge rush, right? And you don't even know. And and I, and I, I have probably have carried some stuff in my backpack that I shouldn't have carried. <laughs> Let's just say it wasn't a firearm, but nonetheless. <laughs> Do you have pictures of Elmer McPherson? <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, Lord. we'll leave it at uh, that. I can't leave this. I can't leave that alone. I'm on, I'm on, by the way, I'm going to milk it a couple of days. Okay. So just like it. I mean, right, you guys let are, me read his Twitter. Oh, yeah, go ahead, man. I was going to just want to say, you, know, you remember Quinn Williams also had an issue up in uh, New York at the airport. He yeah. uh, accidentally left his, I think it was a loaded firearm. And, you know, they don't play about firearms up in um, the state of New York. So that that was an issue no. itself. But anyway, go ahead, Matt. You got more details? Oh, no. 
No, that yeah, it says in late January, Samantha and I enjoyed several days in Mexico. When departing the country, my handgun was flagged during routine screening at the airport. I have a valid concealed carry permit from my local authority and adhere to all handgun laws, but I made a mistake by forgetting it was in my bag. He forgot. Discovery of the handgun led to my detainment while the situation was resolved. I was not aware of Mexican law. I had no intention of bringing a handgun into Mexico. So there you go on that. Uh, When it was discovered... Hold on. I just got to say, this is the first time that uh, ignorance of the law actually was a great legal defense, apparently. Um, Apparently. There are still a lot of questions to be answered here. (laughs) When it was discovered, I fully cooperated with the authorities, accepted the penalties... Hmm? Uh, and return to North Carolina. I apologize for my mistake and appreciate the respect shown by all parties as we resolve the matter. My family and I consider this issue closed. You said well, it was a, three, again, a 380? Uh, the caliber was 380, Matt? Yeah. Well, from my experience, you know, 380 is definitely going to be typically a, a micro pistol or a small um, type of handgun. So uh, that is believable if he didn't realize it was in there. I mean, when I hear 380s, I think of those, you know, those tiny little revolvers that, um, you know, women might keep in a little small purse or, uh, you know, even like those, you know, little Ruger 380s that are micro size. I mean, you can slip them in your pocket, can't even tell they're there. So it, it sounds about right. But that's unfortunate, though. Hopefully, yeah. It, it, I would not go back to Mexico anytime soon if I'm him, though. <laughs> well, we used to call those little pistols Derringers. You remember those when, like, you were a little kid? You had the little plastic on but now, is that gun <clears throat> capable of firing a hollow point? Oh yeah, yeah. No, they're 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 common, um, you know, self defense guns because again, they're so they're so small and they're they're easy to to conceal. I mean, again, these things are like literally smaller than my hand. You know, they can fit in my palm, right? I mean, you can. I mean, again, I. Uh, we're going down a whole little rabbit hole, but it's just one of those things where, I mean, I could put uh, conceal this in a, a pair of gym shorts and you wouldn't even be able to tell. It's smaller than a cell phone. So that that's why I do believe wow. he, might, he might not have realized it, it was in there. Here's the thing. Granted, I'm speculating right really now. I haven't to, seen if, the if actual we, if, we, if we really want to go down this rabbit hole. Go, die. Did what Kyle Bush has acknowledged that he did, is that more of a severe I know this is uh, infraction than what Brittany Griner did. I knew it was coming. I knew it was coming. Well, um, isn't that a fair question, though, Christian? I mean, well, yeah, the I mean, first thing question. I'm going to point out, um, I, I mean, Na- NASCAR fans had no problem just ripping Brittany Griner because she wouldn't stand for the national anthem, right? Or w- whatever. Uh, but. Well, I think it's vastly <laughs> different, but because she had she has literally protested her disgust for the uh, United States of America. Kyle Bush intentionally waves flags to support us. <laughs> Does that not make a huge difference? Yeah, I, then and then also, I mean, uh, maybe, maybe, maybe you, it's, it's kind of it's kind of apples to oranges. But I will say, I mean, you're talking about in one instance that uh, we're talking about illicit drugs, so to speak, or whatever it was you know whatever she had, and then. Um, a small handgun that uh, I would assume, you know, he's carrying this in a responsible manner. Obviously, it was irresponsible in this uh, fashion. But, you know, a handgun is, you know, 
to defend yourself. You know, he's a high profile figure. Um, I know me personally, I mean, that's, you know, I feel more comfortable sometimes traveling with um, some type of perfect, uh, protection just because, um, you know, I mean, people associate athletes with having money or if I'm driving a pretty nice vehicle, um, you know, just those are the kind of things you think of. Um, so, I, I again, it's apples to oranges, but I, I, that's a fair point, Lars. I, I, I get what you, get what you're uh, saying there, but I don't know. I think they're a little different. And also, it's – Russia is a different country than Mexico when it comes to relations with the United States. Sure. So um, that it's you really got to be uh, much more. I don't know. I, I, this is this is a tough issue because I, I have been again in situations where uh, you, you have to pack really really fast, and and then you are like all of a sudden you're in security. And you're like, wait a minute. Is this thing that I have <laughs> that I had in my backpack the other day, did I take that out or did I not? And I'm not saying I, it's anything illicit or anything. But no, I think we can all figure it out. Maybe it's a bottle of water. Well, I mean, right? I, had, I had a little pocket yeah. knife on my keychain one time when I was in the airport. And, you know, they took it very serious. But, again, I mean, I'm, I, I love to fish. I, I used to keep a little small pocket knife on my keychain when I was fishing and stuff. And I ended up, you know, luckily they had no issues. I mean, they, they took it serious, but it just gave it to them, threw it away, and I was fine. But that's another instance where I didn't even think twice about it. I was just rushing to the airport. Didn't even realize my keychain still had my little fishing pocket knife on there, you know. You know, I, I have a little, I have a tiny little, like the same little thing. Not, not it, I wouldn't even classify it as a knife, but it's a sharp object. Oh. object. <clears throat> I probably actually should take that off my keychain. <clears throat> Yeah, especially today. That might help you. Yeah. Um, hey. Uh, TSA pre-check, a... though. All the, go on. TSA pre-check. <laughs> uh, I swear that, well, it, it, it's, it, I think it's just easier to get through when you have TSA pre-check. There's another issue that's uh, causing a, a little bit of discussion in the WNBA concerning Brittany. We'll talk about that on the other side. Maybe you've heard about it. Probably not. More Big Noon Sports coming up. Want to know what's going on with the Crimson Tide? Download the Tide 100.9 app today. Did you know Nissan EVs have traveled 8 billion miles? Just a quick trip to Pluto and back. And what did we learn along the way? Well, that an EV can take... Tomorrow, increasingly cloudy, the chance of a shower during the day. Rain and thunderstorms more likely late tomorrow night, the high 72. I'm James Spann on the ABC 3340 Weather Center on Tide 100.9. It's 67 degrees in Tuscaloosa. Welcome back to Big Noon Sports. Lars Anderson, Matt Coulter, Christian Miller. I flagged this story last week, actually. You know, it kind of goes to the bottom of my little work page. And it seems like today's one of those days where we can bring up some different topics. Brittany Griner is obviously 6'9", 
player, WNBA, yeah, the Russia thing, the drugs. She's, of course, out now. But um, there are problems, the WNBA is assuming, there are potential problems with travel uh, because of security. Okay, She's going to be hugged, pat on the back if she allows it, and she's going to be yelled at, probably more the latter than the former. But um, the league is worried because the league flies commercial. Did you all know that? I just assumed they fly. They flew charter, but no, they fly commercial, and that, of course, presents a problem because you're walking through the public access uh, of the airport. Um, so they were talking about allowing her to fly on a charter, but you can't do that. The entire team would have to travel on charter, and the league has a rule that if one team charters. Every team must charter, which, given the advantage of flying on a charter flight, um, it is an advantage, right? That was poorly worded, but I think you got my drift. Yes. Um, so uh, is is her incident in Russia going to end up with all of the teams in the WNBA flying charter? No, because they don't have the money. They don't. They're just good. I don't know how they hang she, on now. She is going to just have to deal with it. And perhaps hire independently her own security to travel with her. Um, that would be my guess of how this is resolved. I think she probably does need security. Uh, you know, it's it, 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 when you're a female and you're six nine, you're going to attract some attention. You're going to stick out. I yeah. think it's okay to say that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, stick up. Yeah. Whoops. Bad one following Kyle Bush. Um, Wait, could you explain the fl- but, what's, what's the flight risk? They're saying they're worried, like there could be like angered you know, individuals um, from the whole situation, and they is that? Am I understanding that correctly? Or what am I missing? You're not missing anything. They're just. I think that people are just worried about her her security because she's a, a controversial figure, and. Um, and you know uh, that it, it would just be better if you if she could fly, uh, not have to deal with the, the the crowds and the people at airports. Well, shouldn't they just um, exempt like her said, from those rules then, and just allow her to make a special case where she can fly individually? Since it's you know obviously this is a very rare instance where they're labeling her as a flight risk or whatever they're saying or security risk. I mean. I don't understand why. I mean, you can't just make an exception for this rule um, to allow her to, instead of making I, everybody I fly. Like, well, I feel like that's just kind of, you know what I mean? Like, it's it's excessive. Like, if it's that big of a deal, just allow her to fly individually um, and then let everybody else continue to do what they're doing. Because like you just said, Lars, unfortunately, I don't think they have um, the proper funds to allow everybody to um, fly like that. Um, and it's unfortunate. But, no, they say I mean, it's. I hate to say it like this, but they don't bring in the proper revenue to probably afford them to do that, unfortunately. So I just think they need to make an exception for for Brittany if they want her to be able to play. Uh, That does seem to be a very logical and simple resolution. Right. Uh, It cost the league $25 million to fly all the 12 teams. Um, And here may... 
maybe an answer to your question in some sort here, Christian. The current collective bargaining agreement, there's where you got to worry. It requires that all teams fly commercial. It doesn't allow charter flights. So there you got to go, like, to the players' union. And this is what they should do, because Christian has an excellent suggestion. Go to the players' union, ask for an exception. Don't you think every player in the league and every rep would say, please, do that. We need her. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, she's a marquee player. And they've come out and shown uh, and all the support. more than ever. Yeah, they, yeah, they've come out and shown her all the support um, since this has been ongoing. And in, uh, even up to now, you know, they're they're backing her 100%. So I, I highly doubt that anyone in that players' union or anyone involved, for that matter, would, would be against allowing an exemption for Brittany Griner to be able to uh, fly private or however she needs to uh, transport herself to these games to be able to play. Now, that would be shocking if somebody right. there was backlash from that uh, that union, so to speak. All right, here's a <clears throat> here's one for you guys. Who should pay for it? Hmm. Well, well, uh, I mean, she's the one that made the mistake. I was about to well, say. I would say probably come out of her contract if if no one else is willing. Yeah. If the, if the team, if I would say. First, you'd ask the club that she's playing for because if they want her to be a member of their club and to help them win, um, I would try to get them to pay for it. And then if they don't, maybe y'all could work something out where it just comes out of her contract. Um, I think that's the most logical answer here, but that's just my opinion. Yeah, yeah. That, that sounds like a solution. Um, so maybe this is her plan all along. <laughs> You know, it, it's interesting that, uh, <laughs> yeah, that's uh, it. Sue Bird, right, former UConn star, yeah. and uh, I believe she just retired. I could be wrong on that, but I believe she just retired. Um, that uh, she came out and said that she made ten times her first WNBA salary playing in Russia. Uh, her first NBA, or WNBA salary was under 60000 a year, and it was playing in Russia that allowed her to uh, end up making over a million dollars playing professional basketball, women's professional basketball. And I guess it, 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 all of this, everything we're talking about, it raises the question uh, – can the the WNBA make it long term? I mean, I, I I would doubt that the the league is making money at this point, but uh, I I could be wrong on that. Um, but uh, you know, I, I've actually been to a few WNBA games when I was living in New York, and uh, they're they're exciting to watch. I like watching women's basketball. Uh, just in the way I like watching women's golf because um, in a lot of ways, like the the women's basketball players have the same skill set as uh, as, you know, some lesser level men's basketball players. Right. Um, and like in the female golfers play a lot more like me than the men's golfers do. Um, I, I hope that came out the right way. But. Um, I, I don't know. 
I, I think it, it, it uh, this will probably be the only segment we ever do on the WNBA. But um, <laughs> it, I, to me, it's a kind of a fascinating question of, of what is the long-term future of the WNBA in the United States? And, uh, and uh, again, given the fact that these these women uh, can make so much more money overseas, uh, obviously they're not going to be playing in Russia anytime soon, but uh, just in other countries where um, where women's basketball is much more valued than it is in the United States. I watched um, the Mountain Brook girls play the Vestavia Hills girls this past week. And I'd really forgotten how fun it is to watch because, uh, and I really want to be careful on how I phrase this, they try so hard. I mean, their faces are all red. They're diving after basketball. It's not something you're used to seeing, uh, let's say, L. McPherson do. <laughs> <laughs> but, and they know the game now. And I, I will say this and, and take backlash for it. 30, 40 years ago, women's basketball was hard to watch. It was like 10 people standing underneath a goal trying to put it back in. You know, it just. Cheryl Miller. Now, she, she, she was, was an amazing. exception. I swear uh, she could have played uh, in the NBA. She she was very good. But um, uh, it just makes a huge difference. I, I don't know. Uh, I'm so old, and I bet Christian Miller doesn't even know this existed at one time. Christian, women's basketball used to be three of one team on one end of the floor. They played offense. Three on the other side of half court. They only played defense. Never had a chance to score any time, anyway. So it was six on six. Yeah, but it was really no. it was three on three on one side and three on three on the other. No. You didn't know that either. I, I did not. I remember watching my sister play. It was uh, it was hard to watch because one team would have one girl that could score a lot, and that's pretty much what it was. Yeah. Um. So if you didn't know it, I'm sure Christian didn't know that's the way they used to play women's basketball. Did no, you know that? I, I did not know it. And I, I wish there was, you know, something we could do to, you know, help, help them. Because, you know, like you said, Matt, you know, they, they, they do play hard. They work hard. They, they work just as hard as any other athletes. It's just unfortunate that they don't see the turnout. Um, in terms of, um, you know, viewers and, and, and um, you know, on their broadcasts or even just their attendance at their games. Um, so it's hard um, to really make it work when you're just not generating that much revenue. And uh, I wish there was ways to kind of incorporate different things that help bring more revenue in for them because they're, they're very much deserving of it. But it's just hard to, to be able to pay, you know, the players what they deserve when there's just not money to do it, you know. Um, but I hope it doesn't, you know, I don't think they'll let it fall out. I think we'll still see the WNBA, but, um, I feel like they need to get creative and find ways to get more people involved and included in, um, going to those games and showing up and that way, you know, they can help generate some more revenue, which will then in turn pay the women more. There will be a few people that'll buy a ticket just to yell at her. Don't you think? (laughs) I wouldn't doubt it. Maybe. How many uh, how many people were in the stands when you were watching the New York is the Liberty? A lot, really. really? Yeah. Well, you mean like three thousand or maybe 
six, seven. Ah, that's, that's it was a, a big. I, I don't want to talk about Let's, it anymore. Uh, you know where I'm going with this. No, I don't, but I don't uh, want to go okay, there. Okay. Um, we'll take a break when we get back. Uh, UAB beat writer. And also, we have some really interesting comments from Trent Dilfer that we're going to play, and then we're going to ask Steve Irvine, UAB beat writer, about those comments from Trent Dilfer. Let's do it. This is Big Noon Sports with Lars, Matt, and Christian. Today on Hey Culligan, smooth skin and soft hair comes from where? Here's Mike. Hey Culligan, I've tried every conditioner, lotion, and body wash known to man, and my skin still feels like sandpaper. day game does not impress me it's super easy when you don't get hit as a quarterback and when you can't reroute receivers and when you can't hit guys across the middle i love tom brady i love Aaron Rodgers. i love these guys it's not impressive what's impressive is what they did there you have trent dilfer who is now the uab head football coach he made those statements to a group uh, that ended up being a part of a 30 for 30. Th- those are the tremendous documentaries that ESPN shows often, and they are for the most part. Uh, even collectively, I can just say they're all great. I hadn't seen a bad one. How about that? Anyway, to talk about UAB football, basketball, and several other things, we are joined by 1819 News' uh, Steve Irvine. Steve, how are you? Life good? You're down at UAB right now. What, are you talking to some basketball players? Yeah, yeah, doing some basketball stuff, uh, and life's good. I appreciate you having me on. But, yeah, just talking to some basketball. They got a uh, a big game on Thursday uh, at North Texas who, um, who handled them pretty easy a couple weeks ago. So um, it's a big game this week for them. Just to dip into it for a second, did you hear the cut from Trent Dilfer talking about NFL quarterbacks and how easy it is? <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, I, I would I would like to see the full context of that. Um, I, yeah. I, yeah, I saw it, and 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 I hope I hope to get him. He's he's in Arizona right now. I think he'll be back tomorrow, maybe Thursday, and I'm supposed to sit down with him on some stuff. And I look forward to kind of asking him about that. But uh, I, you know, again, I think it was context. And, and you know what? I think in a way, he's not wrong. In a way, I mean, the game is no, changed a lot. You know. I mean, it's, it has, it is easier to play offensive football right now. Now he probably should have picked two other guys to uh, to, to, <laughs> to um, use as a comparison or whatever. But you know, he maybe should have picked you know whoever. But uh, probably should have picked those two guys. But but uh, you know, I think he had a point. And again, I'd like to see the full context of, of what he said and you know what, and what room he was sitting in. And you know, I mean, that's just you know, that's just kind of what we do these days. We take a little snippet of things and turn it into huge news. Um, it is interesting, and, and I think you're right, Steve. Um, his observations are on point. I mean, you can't hit the court. The The number of times I have just dropped my jaw and say, really, that was a late hit? 
that's a penalty. That's roughing the quarterback. And then, you know, now you you can't use your helmet to do anything but uh, walk around in. And yeah. that limits the defense tremendously. So, um, that being said, um, how did UAB end up on the football side with recruiting? 33 signees? That's a large number. Yeah, it ended up being 35. They they got two, you know, two after their uh, original signing or after their press conference. Yeah, I mean, I, you know, number wise, it was uh, it was tremendous. You know, they needed. Uh, you know, that's a good thing for him. For you know, for Dilfer and the new staff, that's a good thing about having the rules the way they are now, where you don't have the 25 uh, limit. Where you know, you, you have to really be a little more selective. You know, they got 35 and. You know, but I mean, what that's not uncommon. Troy got thirty-eight. Uh, somebody else uh, close, I think. Got, I don't remember who it was, but got like thirty-four, thirty-five. So it's you know that number is not um, you know not odd, but uh, but I, I do think it was good for him coming in to uh, you know get a bunch of guys. And, you know, I think they got a lot of talent. I mean, we'll see. You know, I think they made a running back room quite a bit better uh, with with what. No, I mean not better than it was last year, obviously, with uh, with Dwayne McBride. But, you know, it needed some help there. Got their wide receiver. Got a lot better. I think they got some help on the offensive line. Certainly got some help on the defensive line and linebacker. So I think they really did, a, a, you know, on paper, did a really good job of, of, of filling some needs. Steve, what is the uh, quarterback situation look like as we head into spring practice? Well, it's wide open. I think. I think they they really like uh, Jacob Zeno. You know, who was a backup last year, and they think that um, you know think they think with with their coaching they can progress him. You know, he had a he struggled with making decisions last year, making quick decisions, and and, and that would that hurt him. But but I think he has some physical ability for sure. They love the, the the kids they got from uh, from Louisiana Tech. Landry Liddy, who was who played last year a little bit, or uh, played seven or eight games as a as a true freshman last year at uh, at Louisiana Tech. You know, they thought that um, that that he they think that he's got an upside, a, a, a big upside. You know, he's not tall. He's about listed about six foot, and really is not a overly mobile guy for 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 a shorter guy. But he's got a really really good arm, and I think he's. He's good there, and, and you know, then some other guy, you know, uh, Damian, Damian Stewart, who was there last year. They think he's got a chance to maybe one day be okay. They got an interesting uh, guy out of Ole Miss that was a uh, play tight end at Ole Miss, and is a guy named Trace Campbell, who's about six, six seven, I think, six 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 seven, big kid that um, had had gotten hurt in high, high school and was was able, unable to play as a quarterback. Went to Fork Union. Military academy and was really good at quarterback there, but you know really hadn't played as much quarterback. But but you know Dilfer said that the tape that he saw of him at Fork Union and 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 in high school that that they he, they think eventually he can be really good. So there's some guys there, but it's just it's going to take some work. Steve, what do you feel like is a realistic expectation for uh, the first season under Trent Dilfer? Um, you know, I guess maybe like. Uh, a record that you would maybe think would be um, at least would be a good start for him and his new staff. Well, I think if you ask Trent Dilfer, that's going to be win them all. You know, I think he's one of those coaches that, that thinks they can win them all, which is good. I mean, he should be. I think if they go, I think right now if they go seven and five, eight and four, uh, you know, go to a bowl game, win a bowl game, 
Um, you know, I think that would be a great year for them. Because, you know, especially going into the AAC, which is going to be tougher than Conference USA, even with some teams transitioning out, it's a better conference. And so, I, you know, I think if they can go, you know, again, if they win seven, eight games, go to a bowl game, win a bowl game, that to me would be uh, probably the, the best-case scenario. Now, we'll see. I mean, we're going to, you know, obviously spring and, and fall camp will tell the true story of that. But right now, that would be where I, where I sit on, you know, their expectations. Hey, Steve. Um one more question, we'll let you go, but we need kind of a basketball. Go, go ahead, Lars. Oh, sorry. I, I just want to stick with football. I'm, I apologize. Uh, don't mean to keep it too long. I know oh, our, our, our listeners, uh, a bunch of our listeners, is, we all love Bill Clark. Can you give us an update on Bill Clark and whether or not you think he will ever get back into coaching? Well, I, from what I hear, and I hadn't talked to Bill in a little bit, but what I hear is he's, he's doing well health-wise, getting a lot better. Uh, I think he will be in coaching again. I don't know, you know, uh, you know, it, you know, Lars. You, the, the longer you know, the longer you're out, the harder it is to get back in. Uh, but, but I, you know, I think, I think when next year, I mean, I think he'll take another year, and 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 you know, his health will be a, you know, a lot better by then. And I, yeah, I definitely see him coaching again. I, I don't know, you know, don't know where, don't know what level, but, but you know, I, Bill, Bill Clark's not done coaching. I'd, I'd be shocked if Bill Clark's done coaching. Quick update on the basketball team. Hit the skids really in January, but they appear to be rebuilding things. Um, update us. There's only one way this team, I think we all, is going to make it in the NCAA tournament. they got to win the tournament. they got to win the Conference USA tournament. Right. Uh, right, no your doubt. thoughts yeah. about that, and then is is Jelly better? I mean, he looked really good when I saw him last Saturday. Yeah, he's better. You know, he's not a hundred percent. I mean, I think with the with the, I think the problem with the with the bruise, you know, the foot the foot bruise that he had was just kind of where it is on his foot, and and it, it's not going to be the kind of thing that's going to heal for a while. He's just going to have to play through some pain. I think it's a lot better than it was, but it's not completely healed, and and. They've done a good job of getting in the right uh, inner insoles and and some padding they're putting in there that, that I think helped him this past weekend or this past week in the two games he played. Uh, and uh, but he's you know he he's not coming back out. I mean he'll he'll be he'll be in there for, for good and uh, and you know and they need him. You know they certainly need him Thursday against North Texas because that was a problem the first time against North Texas they couldn't score. You know North Texas is so good defensively and they. Really had nobody that had, had an answer for that. And, you know, Jelly's the guy that can do that or can certainly spread the floor and open up other guys too. So, you know, hey, they won four in a row now. They got him back. They're playing a lot better. They didn't play well against FIU in the second half. They had a lot of turnovers and, but they won, you know, and, and, you know, it doesn't really matter if, if you win, you move forward and that's what they're doing. And, so it'll be um, it'll be it's a tough week though. They got North Texas and they got to come back with Middle Tennessee at home. So you know we'll see. We'll know a lot more about them at the end of this week. But right now I think they're playing well. Yeah, one four in a row after uh, just a almost near disaster uh, back yeah. at the very beginning of 2023. Hey Steve, our best to you and your family, and we appreciate you joining us. Where can people follow you and uh, 1819 News? 1819news.com. Get all, all the sports you want there. Come on come on by and see what we got. Uh, follow me on Twitter, Steve Irvine, 04. 
uh, at Steve Irvine04 on, uh, on Twitter. Great stuff as always, Steve. Thank you, sir. Appreciate you guys. Have a great day. Thanks, Steve. Really insight. We'll take a break and uh, wrap up this Tuesday edition of Big Noon Sports. This is the Big Noon Sports Network. The best sports talk in the state. Tide 100.9 and streaming on the Tide 100.9 app. I studied Spanish in college and never got fluent, but then I tried Babbel. Want the most effective way to learn another language? In just 15 minutes a day, Babbel's bite-sized lessons will have you learning. Tomorrow, increasingly cloudy, the chance of a shower during the day. Rain and thunderstorms more likely late tomorrow night, the high 72. I'm James Spann on the ABC 3340 Weather Center on Tide 100.9. It's 69 degrees in Tuscaloosa. Back on Big Noon Sports. It's Lars, it's Matt, it's Christian. And Lars has a, a Hall of Fame or potential Hall of Fame question here for you. Well, Christian, you, you knew it was going to happen that I have to mention the Cincinnati Bengals. Um, oh, AJ you did Green. not learn your lesson yesterday. I know, I know. You 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 gave me a beat down. You gave me a beat down yesterday. <laughs> it was great radio, by the way. I deserved it. Um but th- th- this is actually a legit question. Um, A.J. Green retired yesterday. And, um, Carolina you guy. know, several several years ago, I was spending time with Mark Rick, longtime coach at Georgia, uh, then coach at Miami. And I just asked him, hey, who who's the best? Who's the best you ever coached? And it took him one heartbeat to say, A.J. Green. And so A.J. Green, he was a two-time All-Pro, uh, selected to seven Pro Bowls, finished his career with 10,514 yards, 70 touchdowns. And since 2011, he's only one of five wide receivers to amass more than 10,000 receiving yards. And that includes uh, Julio Jones and Mike Evans, both of the Bucks, uh, DeAndre Hopkins of the Cardinals, and Antonio Brown. And a lot of people in the sort of Cincinnati, or, or a, a, a lot of people in the NFL, have have used this as an opportunity to dump on Andy Dalton who was his quarterback in his prime years. And I absolutely hate that. I think Andy Dalton, he's a, one, he's a really good person. And two, uh, people forget he got the Bengals to the playoffs six years in a row. So I, I just wanted to get your thoughts on on A.J. And, and is A.J. worthy of Hall of Fame consideration? Uh, you know, I'm a big AJ Green fan. He's a, a South Carolina guy. He went to Somerville High School. Uh, my grandparents used to actually live in Somerville. So, if you're from South Carolina, I'm pretty sure you're you're very familiar with AJ Green. I mean, he was um, such a big time player coming out of high school, and um, you know the, the successes he's had um, throughout his career, and you know especially in the in the National Football League. Just uh, and he he was a special guy, man. He's tall, fast, uh, makes all type of catches. Um, I, I think he's deserving of it. Um, you know, he, he had a phenomenal career 
Um, and and again, you know, he's, he's one of those guys, man. It's, it's it's hard to come by a guy with with all those tools um, that he had, and um, you know, a seven time Pro Bowler, and I think those are all consecutive, right? So I think that was a 2011 through yeah. 17. Um, that is no easy feat. Like <laughs> that's special. Um, and he had a great career in college too uh, at Georgia. So. I, I think he's very deserving, and uh, it's just crazy to think about, you know, nowadays, man, the guys that I grew up watching are just slowly, uh, you know, funneling out. You know, Tom Brady retiring, A.J. Green, and uh, we're just kind of getting in that new era. Um, but that's just part of getting older. But, yeah, no, it's sad, sad to see a great uh, receiver like that retire. I I absolutely love A.J. Green. Um, I interviewed him a few times when he was at Georgia. And he was a man of very few words, mm. right? And he, and he just let his play speak for itself. But there was one time, and I don't know if you remember this, uh, Christian, Jalen Ramsey, when he was playing for Jacksonville, clearly said something that absolutely just lit AJ's fuse. And you guys uh, look it up on social media on Twitter A.J. Green absolutely just went after him. I mean, this was WWE stuff. And uh, it's so out of character for A.J. But then once A.J. cooled down, he refused to get into the details of what uh, was said to him by Jalen Ramsey. And, you know, he's just – A.J., he just uh, carried himself in a way that you would hope – like if you had a son or daughter who was a great athlete, that that's how they would carry themselves, you know. And uh, I, I just I, I can't speak highly enough uh, of AJ Green. And when he was at his peak, man, I, I just I don't know if there was a better receiver in the NFL because, like you said, he was he was six foot four. He didn't necessarily like run, you know, the the, the four three. But I never saw anybody catch him from behind on a field. He was a gamer. He had that game hey, speed. Um, really could stretch the field. Yeah. yeah. Um, he is 44th overall in receiving yards. That's pretty far down. Not that you measure I, everything no, I, I, from I, that. No, I actually, I, I actually don't think he's a Hall of Famer. Uh, he will be in the Bengals' ring of honor, if that means anything. Uh, but... Um, I, I, I wish that he had had the opportunity to play in some more playoff games and and sort of have those signature moments in the postseason, and it just w- didn't happen for him. Have a great day. We'll talk to you tomorrow at noon on Big Noon Sport. When you're an innovative business, every blinking cursor Every blank page is an opportunity. What will you do with it? Will you make something better? 